0: Let's open our Bibles to Isaiah, the 26th chapter. Isaiah, the 26th chapter. This whole section has to do with uh, the Lord being willing and able and will restore the nation of Israel. 26th chapter, verse 1 through 27, 13. So it covers two chapters. We'll find that the phrase, in that day, in fact, that's the way this 26th chapter, verse 1, begins. In that day refers to the day of the Lord and the blessings that will follow when the Lord defeats His enemies during a future day. And in these two chapters, we're going to find that the prophet encourages God's suffering people by describing seven pictures the kingdom blessings will have for them in the future, that await them in the future. And I want to just give you a division of these two chapters. In verses 1-6 through of this 26, we have the strong city. The strong city, verses 7 through 11, we have the level path, 12 through 18, verses 12 through 18, the woman in travail, and verses 19 through 21, that's the remainder of this chapter, the life giving dew. So you have the strong city, the level path, the woman in travail, the life giving dew. And then in the 27th chapter, you have the conquered beast, that's in verse 1. Verses 2 through 11, the 27th chapter, you have the fruitful vineyard, and then verses 12 and 13, the happy and holy feast, or the holy and happy feast, either way you want to put it. So you have the strong city, the level path, the woman in travail, the life-giving dew, the that's in the 26th chapter and the conquered beast and that's important because we uh, relate that to the conquered beast in the uh, book of Revelation the beast that will be conquered there and then the fruitful vineyard after that beast is conquered the Israel will be fruitful in the millennium and then the happy and holy feast in verses 12 and 13 let's read verses 1 through 6 this first division of this section And then we'll come back and expound it. It says, In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. We said the first implication was a strong city. We have a strong city. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. Open ye gates, open ye the gates, that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. Only God's people will enter in when those gates are open. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. If you have a marginal reference, it says the rock of ages. We'll have more to say about that in a moment. Verse 5, For he bringeth down them that dwell on high, the lofty city. He layeth it low, he layeth it low even to the ground, he bringeth it even to the dust. "...the foot shall tread it down, even the feet of the poor." Usually the feet of the wealthy and the high-ups tread down the poor. But it says, "...in this day the foot shall tread it down, even the feet of the poor and the steps of the needy." So God is going to reverse things in that day, isn't He? We're going to find that Israel is singing once more. And this time the emphasis is on righteousness and peace. What makes people sing? Righteousness and peace. And by the way, there can be no true peace apart from righteousness. You cannot have true peace unless there's righteousness. If you flip over to the 32nd chapter, verse 17, this is important. These are three important verses I'll give you in a moment. Not all at one time, but as we progress along. But this is a very important verse. Isaiah 32, verse 17. You need to mark it. It says, and the work of righteousness shall be peace. Look at that. The work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, what's the effect of it? Quietness and assurance forever. The work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. And you know, there can be no uh, righteousness apart from God's salvation in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that He is made unto us. Wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In Psalm 85, verse 10, righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Psalm 85, let me read this one for you. In verse 10, Mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. These things have been brought together uh, at Calvary's cross. And when Jesus reigns on earth, the promise of uh, Psalm... 72 rather, verse 7. Psalm 72, verse 7 will be fulfilled. And it says this, "...in His days shall the righteous flourish and abundance of peace so long as the moon endureth." So, we're talking about the fact that these two things are very important in the future. And Jesus Christ is the true King of righteousness and King of peace. He is the true Melchizedek. I heard I read something the other day where I believe it said that, that uh, Melchizedek was the Old Testament uh, manifestation of Christ. But the Bible teaches that he was, a, he was a type of Christ. He is not the person of Christ. A lot of people have said, uh, it says this man, referring to Melchizedek, was a type of Christ. And you know there's many, there are many scriptures that bear this out. And we won't take time to go into it at this time. You know, it says he had neither beginning of days nor end of life, but that didn't mean that. It means that it was not recorded of where his parents came from, and he was a king of righteousness and king of peace. Well, I've got off on that. I better try to clarify it now. So, turn to the Hebrews chapter, let's see, 7, verses 1 through 3. Hebrews chapter 7 one through three. I don't like to leave people hanging when I talk about something. For this man for this Melchizedek, King of Salem, priest of the most high God, who made Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after all that also King of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life but made like unto the Son of God, abideth the priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, unto whom even, Abraham, the, even uh, the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. So we find that it says several things here. That he was like unto the Son of God, and it says, now consider how great this man was, referring back to this particular man. And it's talking about, there are other passages of Scripture, but I just wanted to, confirm what I said a little bit ago, that he was a type of Christ. So we find that uh, there's a lot of things that we can study about uh, this chapter and this particular section of this chapter, but I want us to look again at this strong city in these first six verses. It says, In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. You have uh, chapter 26 of Isaiah. Remember, Judah means praise. And this is the redeemed that will sing a song of praise in the millennium. In this strong city, it says, Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. And it says, Open ye the gates that the righteous nation which keepeth the truth may enter in. And that's the only ones that shall enter in. And then it says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. We go back historically and find that Samaria fell to the Assyrians and Jerusalem to the Babylonians. But this new Jerusalem will be an impregnable city during the day of the Lord. And God will level the lofty cities of the earth, but Mount Zion He will exalt. Notice in verse 1 it's talking about a strong city. And then in verse 5 it says He bringeth down them that dwell on high, the lofty city, the unassailable city of pride will be brought down. And contrast that with the security of the city of God that we find in verse 1. Contrast verse 5 with verse 1, and you'll see that there's a great deal of difference. And Jerusalem will be no longer in that day, in the future day, a sinful city as is described in the first chapter of the book of Isaiah. They were described as very sinful. But it will be a righteous city for a holy nation whose sins have been washed away. Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 1 tells us that their sins shall be washed away. In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, that I will cut, cut off the names of the idols out of the land. In other words, they will turn from their idolatry and be turned and be cleansed and washed away. Their sins will be washed away. And by the way, only those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ will enter that holy city in the future. And it's because they believe, it's because they believe that they have peace. Did you know the reason you and I have peace is because we believe. It says in Romans chapter five verse one, "Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God." Well what's the previous verses in the fourth chapter of Romans? It tells us that if we believe on him who was delivered by our offenses, raised again for our justification, then righteousness, uh, God's imputed righteousness, God will count us righteous. And what is the reason that we have peace? Because we're already counted righteous. And therefore, being justified by faith, Romans five one, we have peace with God. You go the last three verses of the fourth chapter of Romans and see the basis of your peace with God. What is the basis of your peace? The righteousness that God substitutes to you and gives to you. You know, there are at least three verses of Scripture that I want you to mark in your Bible and I want you to hang on to. One of them I've quoted... uh, it's not included in three but I've quoted romans five one which is very important to center uh, the whole focus of what we're about to say. But these three verses that are coming up we've already referred to one of them in isaiah thirty two seventeen mark this one down isaiah thirty two verse seventeen and if you get these three verses, you will have gotten a message that you can study out and live with and that will be so meaningful to you. Isaiah 32, verse 17, it says, And the work of righteousness shall be peace. Could we have had peace without that work of righteousness? We couldn't have had peace. The work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, what's the effect of it? The long-lasting, the eternal, the continuous effect. The effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. And now look at Romans 14, verse 17. Romans 14, verse 17. If you will, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but look, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, remember the poems that Brother Nichols and Sharon read and always pointing and as others have prayed that the peace and the joy that we receive look it says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, that means it's not physical and material things, it is not food it's not uh, Things that we ordinarily think about. It's not carnal things. But what? but what is it? But righteousness and peace. Notice the order here. But righteousness and peace. And then what? And joy in the Holy Ghost. Now I want to give you one more verse. Isaiah chapter 15 and verse 13. <clears throat> Look at this verse. Now the God of hope filled you with all joy and peace how does it come? Look at that. In believing that you may abound in hope. Did I give you the one? Romans 15. Oh, I meant, I'm sorry. I meant Romans fifteen 13. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was in Romans and I just figured everybody was going to follow me whether I told them right or not. I'm sorry. It's Romans 15.13. So I have Isaiah 32.17, Romans 14.17. Now just turn over a page in Romans and it's, it's uh, Romans... Did I say it right that time? 15.13. Okay. Now the God of hope... Now look at this. I'll go over it again. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. See that? In believing. That ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Now where does joy and peace how does it come? It comes through our believing, doesn't it? All joy and peace, and he will fill you with all joy and peace in believing. But all these three verses, if you'll go back and forth, and I'll try to clarify them, Isaiah thirty two seventeen, Romans fifteen thirteen, and Romans fourteen seventeen. All three of them. These three verses that I gave you. You have them all isaiah thirty two seventeen and i had had them in this order romans fourteen seventeen and then romans fifteen thirteen but have make sure you have all three of them down because they're very important and uh it's if you study them out you'll find that it has a great deal of meaning uh, to where we stand and how we feel and uh, about our peace the Hebrew word for peace shalom s h a l o m means much more than a cessation of war. It includes blessings such as wholeness and health and quietness of soul and preservation and completeness. What is your peace is the way that Jews often greet one another. What is your peace? And the reply would be from Isaiah, My peace is from the Lord, for I trust wholly in Him. It says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. In 26.3, Isaiah again, hold it there. 26.3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. And we said it's only those who believe, only those who have trusted Jesus will enter in the city and because they believe, they have perfect peace. So it's perfect peace in believing. Uh, In Philippians chapter 4, let me read this for you. Philippians 4. Verses 6-9. through This is a very important passage as well. You might want to keep it down. It says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then in the next two verses... Paul says two more, uh, some, some more wonderful things. He says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Now listen to verse 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received, and heard, and seen in me, do. Well, I like that, don't you? Those things which you have both learned, and received, and heard, and seen in me, then he says, do. And then the statement, and the God of peace shall be with you. And the God of peace shall be with you. So as we learn, and as we study, and as we establish ourselves in the righteousness that this, these verses require, the truth, honesty, just just, pure, lovely, good report, as we listen to those things that Paul taught and we put them into practice in our lives, then he says if we've learned them and received them and heard them and seen those things in Him and we do them, the God of peace shall uh, be with you. You see, peace comes from not only God's substituted righteousness or imputed righteousness to us, therefore we know we are not at enmity with God, but it increases as we learn more of God and as we do more of what God wants us to do. It 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 explodes and it, it envelops and it just increases in our lives. And we don't learn these things all at one time. It takes a time. It takes a little time to learn them. If you'll tie all of those scriptures together that I gave you, put down Philippians chapter four verses six through nine. And it's based on Isaiah 26, verse 3 that we've been studying. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, uh, whose mind is stayed on thee. Then you'll find that there is a great lesson in in that. And let's get back to Isaiah 26, verse 4. It says, Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. If you have a marginal reference, it says, For in the Lord Jehovah, it says Hebrew for everlasting strength. The Rock of Ages, the Rock of Ages. Augustus Toplady's song, "Rock of Ages," is based on the marginal reading of verse four. That great song that we sing, "Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee," is based on the marginal reference of this fourth verse of Isaiah twenty-six, verse four, and the New Jerusalem is a city then that's built on a rock as well. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. And it goes on down to tell how He's going to bring down the the other city. Look in verse 5. For He bringeth down them that dwell on high, the lofty city. He layeth it low. He layeth it low even to the ground. The unassailable city of pride will be brought down. You know, there are some cities that remind you of what they thought of the Titanic. Remember they said, this is the unsinkable. Nothing can sink her. It didn't even take a bomb. It didn't take a gun. It didn't take an explosion. It took a work of nature. A huge iceberg. Split it in the park. And they're finding out more and more about it all the time now since they tried to do all the things they've done lately about the Titanic. But you see, sometimes man thinks he is so strong that God just has to say, look, there's nothing that is unassailable as far as God is concerned. And this unassailable city of pride will be brought down. And you contrast that to verse 1. In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city because it's built upon the salvation of God. Salvation will God appoint for walls and bulwarks. You go back and tie this in with the third chapter of the book of Nehemiah where you find, if you remember in the book of Nehemiah, the walls are salvation and pictures of going around the city and rebuilding the gates of the city that was burned down. And remember, as he went around the city, first he started out at Sheep Gate. Where do we start? We start at Sheep Gate, don't we? Everybody starts, starts at Sheep Gate. The Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. We start with that wonderful place of where the sacrifice is made, the only basis whereby we may uh, have the salvation of God. And then the next gate was fish gate. Once you're saved, come follow me and I will make you to become fisher, fishers of men. And you go on around and remember we've taught those various gates of the city. And there's a good lesson in that. I remember Edna's mother used to love to hear me teach on those. Miss Hensley. Uh, Take the next section. We talk about the level path beginning with verse 7. It says, The way of the just is uprightness. Thou most upright, dost weigh the path of the just. The level path. Yea, the way of thy judgments, O Lord, have we waited for thee. In the way of thy judgments have we waited for thee. The desire of our soul is is to thy name and to the remembrance of thee. You know, we've noticed that Isaiah emphasized the highway. In Isaiah chapter 11, turn back to 11 in verse uh, 16. It says, And there shall be a highway for the remnant of his people. There's a highway which shall be left from Assyria, like as it was to Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. So God always has a way for his people. And there's going to be a way for God's people in the future. But in Isaiah 26, verse 8, it says, Yea, in the way of thy judgments, O Lord, have we waited for thee. Does it pay to be patient and wait for God? You know, during much of their history, the Jews have traveled a very rough, rough road. But there will be a time in the future when God's kingdom is established that God will give them level paths and a smooth way because they will be walking in the will of God and the ways of God, and they will be safe and, and they will uh, be walking in an enjoyable path. And they will wait on the Lord to discern His will. They will yearn for the Lord and worship Him even in the night. And so. Those that wait upon the Lord, they that wait upon the Lord, Isaiah 40 verse 31 says, shall renew their strength, they shall mount up with wings as eagles. they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. And this section, verses 9 through 11 in Isaiah, God wants the world to learn righteousness and he sends his judgment, but people will still not repent even though he wants them to learn righteousness. Look at verse 9. With my soul have I desired thee in the night, yea, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early. For when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. When God's judgments are in the earth, what does it say? The inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Then it says, Let favor be showed to the wicked, yet will he not learn righteousness. Isn't that amazing? Let favor be showed To the wicked. Yet will he not learn righteousness? In other words, though God's purpose is that men learn righteousness, many people will not learn righteousness. They refuse to learn righteousness. And it goes on to say, In the land of uprightness will he deal unjustly, unjustly, and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Lord, when thy hand is lifted up, they will not see when God lifts up his hand in judgment, but they but they shall see and be ashamed for their envy at the people; yea, the fire of thine enemies shall devour them. God speaks of a day that, even though people rebel, and He shows them His grace in a thousand ways, they'll continue to do evil. But yet He has to His hand is at work, and they will not see it. And yet He will cause them to see that that His judgment is coming. But they still will not repent. You turn to Revelation chapter nine. In verse uh, 20 and 21, let me read this for you. It says, But the rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues, yet repented not of the works of their hands, that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see, nor hear, nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. Have you ever heard the... Idea that some have thrown out that, you know, when God judged people and when things get bad enough, people will repent. Not so. You know, God can just bring judgment till, uh it's, well, if you'll read the context there in Revelation that we're talking about. And let me read those two verses again. The rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues. It refers to all the plagues that God had poured out upon me and upon the earth. And yet the rest of the men that were not killed by these plagues, it says, yet repented not of the works of their hands. They said, we're just not going to do it. That's rebellion, isn't it? Just open outright refusal back in our context. Notice what it says. It says, in chapter 26 of Isaiah, and I'll try to keep my Scriptures straight, in verse 10 again it says, "...let favor be showed to the wicked, yet will he not learn righteousness. Let favor be showed, yet in the land of uprightness will he deal justly, deal unjustly, and will not behold the majesty of the Lord. Lord, when thy hand is lifted up, they will not see." That refers to the fact they will not repent. They will not see. When thy hand is lifted up. But notice in verse 9 it says, For when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the earth, of the world, will learn righteousness. That was God's purpose. God's judgments should teach us to learn righteousness. We've tried to emphasize that earlier in our lesson. The the righteousness, the effect of righteousness is peace and assurance forever. In quietness, the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. That's the verse I gave you in Isaiah 32, verse 17. But you see, people will not do that. Isn't it awful when people will refuse to the best that God has for them, and He'll manifest His mercy and grace in a thousand ways, and yet they refuse. And He finally has to bring judgment, and they still refuse. The Bible says, Paul says, The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Brother... Nichols read or mentioned John 3:16 when he first got up. For God so loved the world, doesn't that make anyone that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him, He gave us the greatest gift. He gave us the greatest simple way to to be saved and to trust Him. And yet, if that will not lead men to repentance, all the judgments and the earthquakes and the fires and the wrath of God. Yet they repented not of their sorceries, their idolatries, their wickedness. They continued to rebel. What makes men that way? So it proves to me that it takes a work of grace in man's heart to change it. It takes God's grace to enter into his heart and cause him to, to desire, to want to change, and to be saved. And to, it's, it's a work of the Spirit of God. We just don't understand it. But God does it. You are where you are today because God worked on the inside of you. The Bible says that we were dead in trespasses and sin. A dead man cannot lift himself up out of the grave. We were dead in trespasses and sin. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, hath quickened us. He resurrected us together in Christ. By grace are you saved. See, you didn't do anything to deserve it. In fact, you couldn't do anything to deserve it. So God says, I'm just going to reach down and lift up that soul and he's going to move upon his heart and quicken us. We find that there's an indication of that before we finish this chapter. So we find that there's the fact that God is going to revive and restore Israel in the future. This should help us to remember our promises that God has given us, that he will also restore us and, and bless us. I want you to look at another section. In verse 12, you find it says, Thou wilt ordain peace for us. Thou wilt ordain peace for us. For Thou also hast wrought all our works. We find out in verse 17 and 18 in our text that this is the condition. They, like as a woman with child. In other words, here's a woman in travail. Like as a woman in, with child that draweth near to the time of her delivery. It is in pain and crieth out in her pains, So have we been in thy sight, O Lord. Verse 18, We have been with child. We have been in pain. We, we have, as it were, brought forth wind. We have not wrought any deliverance in the earth. Neither have the inhabitants of the world fallen. So this section deals with a woman in travail because it starts out in verse 12, and it tells us, What they have been, down in verse 17 and 18, they've been in travail. In verse 13 it says, O Lord our God, other lords beside Thee have had dominion over us, but by Thee only will we make mention of Thy name. Other gods had dominion. The word had dominion means Baal, B-A-A-L, had had dominion over them. And then in verse 14 it says, They are dead. These other gods, they are dead. They shall not live. They are deceased. They shall not rise. Therefore hast thou visited and destroyed them, and made all their memory to perish. By the way, let me just detour for a moment and tell you that uh, when it says, They are dead, they shall not live, that uh, the various cults round about us take this to prove that you're destroyed in death and your memory perishes. But this is not talking about a physical resurrection. But it means that the lordship of other nations over Israel is forever gone. That those rulers over them was forever gone. That there are no other lords that will ever rise again to domineer over Israel. And it doesn't mean that there shall not be a resurrection it doesn't mean that the memory of people that die or is perished. It's talking about that their memory is perished because they are dead kings and leaders and rulers and those that were domineering over God's people, and they wouldn't rise again to bother them anymore. They wouldn't rise to power to hurt them anymore. So the uh, people that use this to prove, you know, their theories or doctrines that, that they try to established, or using something that does not pertain to that at all. It does not teach a physical resurrection. It's not even talking about a physical resurrection. When it says, they are dead, they shall not live. They are deceased, they shall not rise. It means that they are gone, and they will not bother Israel anymore. Verse 15, Thou hast increased the nation, O Lord. Thou hast increased the nation. Thou art glorified. Thou hast removed it far into all the ends of the earth. Lord, in trouble... Have they visited thee, they poured out a prayer, when thy chastening was upon them. Like as a woman with child that draweth near, the time of her delivery is is in pain, and crieth out in her pangs. So have we been in thy sight, O Lord. In other words, Israel, the nation, was like a woman in travail. And the agony of the day of the Lord is compared to the pain of a woman travailing in birth. And Isaiah describes the remnant confessing their failures to the Lord because of their sins. And they had been subjected to many Gentile tyrants, but now those tyrants were dead and would not return to enslave them anymore. And God disciplined His people and brought them to a place where they could all whisper their prayers to Him and speak their prayers to Him. But He had heard and delivered them. And Israel was in pain like this woman giving birth, except that... Their travail produced nothing, and Israel's travail produced repentance and produced in them a restoration. Israel failed to give birth to the blessings God wanted them to, them to uh, bring in the world, but during the kingdom age, in the future time, Israel and Mount Zion will be the source of blessing for the whole world. Just because Israel failed in the past doesn't mean she'll fail in the future. And what, it, what hindered Israel from bringing the blessings to the world that God wanted them to bring They turned from their sincere worship of the true God and gave their devotion to their idols. And that's what hindered hindered their progress in the Old Testament. So we find that they will turn away from their idols and turn to God. In verse 19, it says, Thy dead men shall live together, with thy dead bodies shall they arise. In other words, here's another section of this uh, this chapter. And it's the life-giving... Dew, that the resurrection is spoken of. Thy dead men shall live together with my dead body. Shall they arise awake and sing ye that dwell in the dust? For thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth uh, shall cast out the dead. So he's speaking of a future time that God will resurrect his people. This verse along with Job 19, verse 26, and Daniel 12, verse 2, teaches the bodily resurrection of the Old Testament believers that they will be resurrected. He will raise their bodies from the dust. In the book of uh, Daniel, chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, "...and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt." And remember, Job speaks of his resurrection in one place, and he says, "...I know that my Redeemer liveth." And he says that after the skin destroys this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. In other words, he says, God is going to resurrect me even though this body is going to be destroyed. And that's exactly what God is going to do for you and I. We find that there is a resurrection spoken of for all believers in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 20 that blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. Not only the resurrection that takes place when the rapture comes and the dead in Christ shall rise, and we're caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, but the resurrection that takes place of all the martyrs of the tribulation period, because it tells us in Revelation 20, verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given to them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. They're going to be resurrected. And for the Word of God. And which had not worshipped the beast. So these are tribulation saints that will be resurrected. Neither had received His mark in their foreheads or in their, right, in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And in verse 6 it says, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. And it says, On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with Him a thousand years. So there's a promise of a resurrection not only of the Old Testament saints, but of all of God's people. Now, verse 20 and 21, I want to talk about the shelter that they have. The protection that they have. Notice verse 20 and 21. Come, my people, enter into thy chambers and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment. In other words, until the indignation be overpassed. God is going to protect His people during all kinds of tribulation. For behold, the Lord cometh out of His place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall disclose her blood and shall no more cover her slain. God says to protect His people, to come into the chambers, and He will protect His people during the tribulation period. Israel has a protection for them during the tribulation period. Let me give you a passage of Scripture and. The book of Revelation. Let's see where we can find it in the uh, 12th chapter, and verse six. God says to the woman, which represents Israel, and to the and the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared of God, a place of protection, that they should feed her there a thousand, two hundred, and three score days. So the last half of the great tribulation period, God says, come into my chambers. He says, I'm going to protect you when this onslaught comes. Let me read Isaiah again. Come, my people, enter into thy chambers and shut thy doors about thee. Hide thyself, as it were, for a little moment, for just a little while. Until when? Until the indignation be overpassed. So God is going to, He protects us individually, but He's going to protect His nation and His people and no wonder they were singing in the first verse of this chapter. They were singing a song of praise because of what God was doing for them. For behold, the Lord cometh out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth. And he's coming in Revelation chapter 19 and punishes the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall disclose her blood. Remember the Revelation 19, and it says, "And shall be no, and shall no more cover her slain." We find there's a great judgment that will come, but in the midst of all the judgment, God says His people will enter into a place of safety. If you we apply this in an individual way to you, to you and I as Christians, God has given us divine protection. In the New Testament, we find that the Bible tells us that. Uh, who is he that condemneth? It says, Who, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Well, he doesn't condemn us. He died to save us and deliver us from condemnation. And the Bible goes on to say, If God be for us, who can be against us? We've quoted this morning and at other times, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. God has given us divine protection. He's given us divine protection in John chapter 5, verse 24. What does he say? Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that is in me, listen, hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. So we shall not come into that great final crisis or judgment. So the individual Christian has protection, but God has not forgotten His earthly chosen people either. Because during the great tribulation period, He will not suffer them to go unprotected, but He will protect them And then they will go into the millennium and they will reign in peace and righteousness that God speaks of so much in the Old Testament. This 27th chapter is very interesting too. And we'll have some more to say about that. We'll find Israel's enemies will be overthrown. That great beast that's spoken of in verse 1 uh, will be judged. And then we'll find other things that will take place in this chapter that will be a real blessing to Israel in the future. And then the 28th chapter of Isaiah starts a new section and a new division of the book of Isaiah, and we'll get into that at a later time.